In contracts, another reason why a party may be justified for their non-performance is if the circumstances have changed. So there are three kinds of categories of change circumstances. Impossibility, impracticability, and sorry, impracticality, and the frustration of purpose. Uh, we've kind of talked about these things in criminal law last semester. And if you remember from criminal law, I didn't really get it much then, so hopefully this goes well today. So the restatement sections 261 and 266 say, I think 261 specifically says, a party's performance is made impractical without his fault by the occurrence of an event, the non-occurrence of which was a basic assumption on which the contract was made. His duty to render that performance is discharged unless the language of the circumstances indicate to the contrary. It's also important to note that some things are so out of place uh, that it can't be a basic assumption. Well, what's a basic assumption? Well, a house is a house. That, that's a basic assumption. If you're contracting to build a house, you expect a house to appear. Uh, but there are so things out of place that it may not be a basic assumption. People need to contemplate both the circumstances, um, but not contemplate it so much that there are provisions about the circumstances in the contract. I'll be honest, I'm not sure what I was talking about when I wrote down that note. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on to section 262, uh, which talks about death or incapacity of a person that makes it necessary for performance to occur. And ultimately what that just says is that if a contract is dependent on uh, a party to perform, then and that party dies before the performance occurs, then the contract is going to be considered impractical. Uh, you can protect against this uh, by putting it into writing to say, if this person dies, here's what we're going to end up doing instead. And that's a lot of the time dependent on if that person is super important to the fulfilling of that contract. For example, if it's a celebrity who needs to perform, and that performance can only be done by that celebrity, well, then if they end up dying, yeah, you need to find a way to work around that contract to still make it enforceable if you are the one trying to enforce the contract. Section 263 uh, talks about the destruction, deterioration, or failure to come into existence with that thing which makes it necessary for importance. So ultimately, this is the exact same thing as 262 except this is talking about a thing or an object. So a good example of that uh, would be just based off of the top of my head. A very rare and important item. Uh, you can say like this ruby being delivered to a museum and it turns out that that ruby was stolen. Well then what are you gonna do to make sure that that performance is still uh, gonna be adequate? 264. Uh, talks about the prevention of governmental regulation by an order. 
So ultimately, same kind of thing, but this time the government is going to stop something from happening or cause someone to do something that makes the contract unenforceable. The difference in this situation is that the parties don't need to contemplate the regulation, meaning at the time that the contract was formatted, I'm I'm starting to remember now what I meant by contemplation when I said earlier that I didn't. Ultimately, at the time of the formatting of the contract, you need to contemplate certain circumstances. What's going to happen? And if you contemplate those circumstances and you draft it in, well then the contract is going to be enforceable even if those circumstances occur. If those circumstances are unable to be contemplated, well then, uh, based off of like aliens coming down and uh, teleporting a city away, well, then that's going to be impracticality, impossibility, and the like. And so government can be one of those things where uh, you could contemplate a governmental order, but parties do not need to contemplate that order in order to make the contract impractical. 265 talks about discharge by supervening frustration. So this is going to be frustration. Uh, this is, and what the restatement says here, says where after a contract is made, a party's principal purpose is substantially frustrated without his fault by the occurrence of an event, the non-occurrence of which was a basic assumption on which the contract was made. His remaining duties to render performance are discharged unless the language or the circumstances indicate to the contrary. So, ultimately what we're saying, 261 through 266 tells us that a contract may be discharged by impossibility, impracticality, or frustration of purpose. Typically though, these things need to be contemplated unless if it's one of those governmental things. So, in other words, we don't want to rely on impossibility and practicality and frustration of purpose to get out of a contract. Instead, we want to just write in everything that we can possibly think of. We have one case, two cases. Yeah, we'll just talk about one case. We have one case. It's called Hemlock Semiconductor Operations versus Solar World Industries Sachin. On GmbH. Ultimately, what happened in this case is that, it, well, there's a claim that enforcement of the contract is impractical and frustration of pur- uh, purpose uh, based off of a governmental action that ended up happening depressed the market for one of the parties uh, for a product that they were contracting for. In this situation, impracticality and impossibility is treated as the same. Most courts do this mostly just because impracticality and impossibility are just kind of really hard to tear apart to know the difference. It is important to note, though, that impracticality does not require the situation to be impossible, only that it is impractical for the party to perform because of an extreme and unreasonable difficulty, expense, injury, or loss involved. Ultimately, if the unanticipated circumstances 
and circumstances made it performance for the promise vitally different from what it should have been within the contemplation of the parties, then impracticality has occurred. The courts are also going to consider if there were any unforeseen events that would have made this a basic assumption if the event did not occur. And ultimately in this situation, I believe this was within the contemplation of the parties. They didn't write it down, and so the governmental action was not something that would release one of the parties from enforcement. I do want to note the difference between impracticality and impossibility, Uh, and we're going to do so by a person who is contracted to paint a ship. Uh, Say this person... Uh, There's two people involved in this case. Uh, This is a hypothetical. But person number one owns a ship. Person number one hires person number two to paint the ship. It turns out that person number two was getting ready to paint the ship, and then the ship sank. Sank in the ocean. Well, it would be impractical to then paint the ship, because then the... Uh, then the uh, person number two would have to go and incur a lot of additional costs and to raise the ship, uh, to uh, hire other people to raise the ship, dry it out, get it ready for painting. And that's just not practical. It, it would be a bad idea to do that. But it is possible to go ahead and still do that, to raise it and to paint the ship. And so there is the difference between impracticality and impossibility. Now, an impossibility would be, instead of the ship sinking, the ship burned down. Complete ashes, evaporated, completely gone. And that would be a situation where you can't bring back the ship in order to perform. Whereas the sinking of the ship, it's still possible to bring it back, but it would be impractical to do so. So that's impracticality, impossibility, and frustration of purpose. As far as here's why the circumstances have changed so much to where we do not want to enforce this contract anymore. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.